Hello, and welcome to the Classicist Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, here, as always, with Victor Davis Hanson, the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And so, Victor, we turn our attention this week to the presidential race. Uh, let's start with probably the biggest news, certainly the most unexpected. Um, Scott Walker, considered one of the front runners earlier this year, drops out at the beginning of this week. And if you are, like a lot of conservative Republicans, convinced that the federal government needs root and branch reform, that you have to have someone who can take on entrenched power centers, this – Seemed like the guy whose resume would rise to the top of the pile, and yet he's he's gone before the first day of fall. What do you reckon happened there? Well, you know, I th- always thought he was a politician that was unchanging, unflinching when he faced down the unions, and he was very consistent. But a couple of things happened. Trump took out air out of a candidate like him, um, and he made the what had once been the outlier candidates like him and maybe to a lesser extent Rubio into more traditional establishment types, which hurt them. But more importantly, on things like foreign policy, uh, especially immigration, he would say one thing and then he would say something not completely contradictory, but back off a little bit from it. Uh, I think he said some things on the Planned Parenthood that were they got increasingly tougher and immigration got increasingly weaker and that's just not going to do it for that type of candidate in a year like this. One of the other big dynamics we're seeing is this we, – we've had a big bump in the polls for Carly Fiorina coming off the last debate. Donald Trump's still doing pretty well. Uh, ben Carson, by all accounts, one of the more popular figures in the Republican field. Everyone's been busy with sort of the horse race analysis of the the surge of all these outsiders what about the question on the merits though? Because we don't often elect presidents who haven't previously held office. It's not unprecedented. We've done it a few times in American history, but it's rare. Um, how should we think about that, Victor? How relevant is it that these candidates don't have much of a political background? Well, we haven't done it in, what is it, 64 years it'll be from since Dwight Eisenhower. And none of these candidates, you know, led all allied forces in Normandy. So right. they don't they don't stack up. So it's gonna be very hard. And uh, they all so far reveal that they don't understand politics that well. And by that, I mean Carson just keeps saying things, whether it's on Muslims as president or uh, Planned Parenthood or, or various issues that he has to keep getting back to the original question and refining it, adapting it, rejecting it. And that means he doesn't talk about other things. So, and the same thing with Trump. He insults all these people and it sounds great and it's it's fun to watch. You enjoy it. But it's like a – I think I said in a column, it's like a double martini. It's not sustainable. It will kill you. And uh, Carly Fiorina came across as a person who just spoke truth to power, so to speak. And now, like any candidate, I don't think she – she doesn't – I don't know if she's expected that now that she's a, a serious contender, she's got to have a campaign. And she's got to have a blueprint and she's got to have a staff and she has to have position papers and she's got to be able to deal with this, these charges, you know, that the opposition is going to make that Hewitt Packard, you know, really didn't do well under her. And she didn't really run a good campaign against Barbara Boxer. She was ill. I think that was some part of it. So she's going to have to stand up and you and then in the, by the same token, you'll see somebody like Rubio, who's been in the Senate uh, 
and he seems to be getting stronger a little bit, and Bush doesn't get, seem to be getting any weaker. Maybe Kasich, Christie are down at the bottom, but the point I'm making is that there's a reason why Americans haven't elected an outsider in 64 years. Now, one other thing on the Republican field before we shift over to the Democrats. You had a column this week, which I commend to our readers uh, for PJ Media, in which you put together a, a one-sentence epigram for each of the presidential candidates. And there's one in particular I want to get you on the record about because it's sort of equal parts provocative and cryptic. This is what you said about the former governor of Arkansas, Mike Huckabee. Quote, would that his noble creed be inductively inferred rather than deductively applied. You've got my attention, Victor. Decode that for me. Well, I just wish that he would weigh in on issues and not tell us a priori that he's Christian or not seek out issues in which he can demonstrate his Christianity, but take particular positions that we, after we hear him talk, we say, wow, he's really a Christian, isn't he? But what he does is he's, he establishes his religious fides first, and then he looks at all these issues through the prism of Christianity. And after a while, you know what I mean? It's it sort of like, well, that's important. Um, that's important. That's important. You're not talking about it. So uh, he's, he, I know what he's doing. He's trying to appeal to this evangelical social conservative base. But uh, I, I wish that he, he would look at the, the issue inductively and then we could, we could figure out that he's Christian. You don't need to tell us in advance. So let's switch to the other side of the aisle for a moment. You had a big piece on Hillary Clinton this week. I want to get to that in a moment. But but before that, Victor, what do you make of, of Bernie Sanders' popularity? Is that transient? Is that just what happens when a party gets restless after eight years of controlling the White House and they start telling themselves that their president didn't go far enough? Or does this represent some sort of deeper shift in the Democratic Party? Well, no, I, I think he's Howard Dean of his times. He's a Insider socialist um, masquerading as an outsider populist, and he's he's just what the Democratic Party said was not the future. An old white guy, seventy three, just like Biden and Gore and Jerry Brown and John Kerry and O'Malley and Webb. So I don't see he's got a big future, and I don't. I think this is a campus phenomenon, and uh, it'll start to fade because it, it represents the occupants. Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, that fringe of the Democratic Party. And it's no more than 10% of the electorate. And um, it also reflects the fact that right now there's nobody in the Democratic Party. Biden's not in yet and Hillary is collapsing. So, you know, it's who else is there? It's just about in 2004 before Kerry got in what we were dealing with with uh, Howard Dean. You know, I, I hadn't planned on asking you this, but you, you mentioned Jim Webb there. You're you're about the only one. I mean, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to know that Jim Webb is is running for anything. And what, what's striking to me about that is that somebody with the sort of um, military record that he has, regardless of his politics, it seems to me that you'd at least be probably a second tier candidate in the Republican field just based on that. And we've talked before on other broadcasts about the sort of growing um, disconnect between military culture and sort of the rest of American culture. Do you see in the fact that a guy like Webb gets no traction in the Democratic no, Party or reflection actually, of I that? Can, yeah, actually I can see why he does not because uh, on a lot of issues uh, on defense and – I mean he writes novels, essays, 
books that uh, triumph the Scottish-Irish fighting tradition. He's on the other side of the Confederate flag issue. So he's not going to find a lot of support in the Democratic Party. And also there's a lot of people in the Republican Party and the conservative side that remember uh, during the Bush administration, he inadvertently found himself in the Michael Moore, Cindy Sheehan anti-war chorus. I don't think he was a kindred spirit, but when he got in these confrontations with George Bush and he said things that were provocative and they were sort of gratuitous, and then he was sort of undone because he, to get elected, he had to get the left support, and then he found himself with strange bedfellows that made him uncomfortable, and he just seemed irritated and cranky all the time. And so the Republican conservative natural base for him wasn't there. They were kind of upset with him, and there was nothing in the Democratic Party, so I'm not surprised he's not doing well. Okay, I promised that we'd get to Hillary, and one of the many reasons that that's worth doing is that she occasioned what I'd imagine is the only Victor Davis Hanson column ever to begin with a quote from a Nine Inch Nails song, um, albeit via Johnny Cash. You latched onto that lyric in the song Hurt about having an empire of dirt as a pretty good description of where Hillary is now. Explain that. Well, in that song that Nine Inch Nails that Johnny Cash at the end of his life sort of turned in from a, a good song into a mournful reflection on his whole life, I think. It's sort of like Hillary because I was trying to point out in the column two things. One is that for all the Clinton Foundation, for all the money she's worth now, for all the power, for all the resume talking points that she refers to, there's nothing there. The, the, the foundation is corrupt. It's a quid pro quo uh, recycling bin for her former staffers. She's broken the law and she knows that she's broken the law and she knows she can't say she's broken the law. People are abandoning her. And uh, in that sense, it, it resonates with a lot of lyrics in the song. And, and then the other is that she has a psychological tick, if I could use that term, to bring up issues that are almost, I don't know if it's Freudian or what, but they, they, they naturally evoke her own behavior. So when she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be transparent, then you think, well, no, you're not. Now that you reminded me, you're the least transparent candidate I've ever seen. And then she said, she makes a video about women that should be believed in their allegations without scrutiny or cross-examination. And yet her entire career as Bill's husband was to defame and to dismiss women's accusation that they had been groped harassed, really the most tawdry sort of sexual harassment, just the sort of things that she said we should believe a Paula Jones or, or a Juanita Broderick or a Monica Lewinsky. And, and these issues just keep reappearing. So it's not just transparency. It's not just sexual harassment, but there are things like foreign policy she, she evokes and the mess in the Middle East or instability in the world. And yet her reset or what she said of Gaddafi we came, we saw, he died, and we know what happened in Benghazi and the mess that followed. Or physical, uh, look at campus, phys physical policy. She says, well, you know, we have all these students in debt and we have to help the students. But person who sincerely believed that then wouldn't go to UCLA and charge $10,000 a minute for a hack 30-minute ramble. And I don't know why she does that. I really don't. Uh, because she's bringing up, a, and I'm just, skimming the surface, there's about 10 or 12 instances where the issues that she's evoked for the party really are, are really embarrassing when you collate that with her own record. And I, I was just trying to suggest to the reader that there's something like that song where at the end of a person's life, they say, what have I become? 
and uh, I will, you know, I will make you hurt. And so she's making her supporters hurt. Uh, Just think for a minute, you guys, that what would you do if in August you said there's nothing to this email scandal? It's a Republican uh, hit team is after her. It's a right wing conspiracy. And then since that period, in the last 60 days, we've had dribble, 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 dribble. And almost every charge of her accusers has been proven true. And now the, the FBI doesn't react to Republican talking points. And we all know the biggest problem she has is the Obama Justice Department because this information to the degree that's leaked is not coming from the RNC. It's coming from the Obama Justice Department. What do you think – this will be the final question. Pulling back uh, and taking the longer view, you know, 2016 is going to inaugurate some new era in American politics. We don't know what yet. But when we look at the period that we're coming to an end of now with the Obama years, do you imagine that we are going to judge Barack Obama as a as a historical parenthesis or do you think that contrary to that, he – maybe that he got the, the fundamental transformation that he wanted? Well, I think we're going to look at it as a profound period of embarrassment because it's almost as if a country was drunk and they're going to have to sober up because, as you know, <laughs> we added $9 trillion we will have. So we're going to have $20 trillion in debt and all the critiques of Bush are going to be minor that he only ran up half of what Obama did. And at some point, we're going to have not have zero interest rates. And when we get back to 4 or 5%, the servicing of that debt is going to be a, a large chunk of the federal budget, and that's Obama's legacy. And what we see with Obamacare is noncompliance. Uh, I've been going to a doctor a lot after an accident, and believe me, in Central California, what you hear is poor people say, I don't know what a copayment is. I've never made one. I'm not going to make one. I never paid a premium. I don't know what a deductible is. So they're just not going. They're just leaving the doctor's office that I've seen and going to the emergency room again. It's not working, in other words. And then the sanctuary city and noncompliance with the law, neo-Confederate nullification, um, that just doesn't work. Salt Lake City can't say, you know, the Endangered Species Act doesn't apply within our environs. So I think the legacy is going to be that uh, – once the media veneer is stripped away, you're going to see that he was probably the least transparent president since Richard Nixon, the most lawless in his abuse of the executive position, either by uh, nullifying laws or not enforcing them or creating new ones by executive fiat. And I mean everything from treating this deal with Iran as, a, as if it's a non-treaty to get it passed and flipping the two-thirds ratification to the need for two-thirds to override a, a veto, to uh, the destruction of immigration law, to lowest learner. I mean, it's 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 all there, and, and we're not appreciating it because we're in the middle of the whirlwind. But once he's out of office, uh, I think the left, the media, and everybody's going to say, you know, what do we do now? We can't apply any standards to a Republican successor because uh, we didn't apply them to Obama. And if a, if a Republican president comes in and says, you know what, I'm just going to start deporting people. Or he just says, you know what, if you're any city, we're going to have a Second Amendment sanctuary, no gun registration for handguns. You know, what would the left say? They would get angry, but they would have no intellectual heft there. So I think it's going to be a sorry chapter in American history. It's a great disappointment, and I think he's done a lot of damage. 
All right. That's the show for this week. Join us again next week for the next installment of the Classicist Podcast. And in the meantime, stop by hoover.org where you can read all of Professor Hansen's commentary. We'll see you back here soon. For Victor Davis Hansen and the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org. My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the